If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them, or if some of you already have it there, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if you're new here tonight, just to kind of pick you up to speed real quick, uh, the first two chapters of this book uh, have not necessarily been a walk in the park, sunset, uh, on the beach, in the ocean, just kind of like holding your wife's hands and, you know, going off into the clouds kind of book or story. This is written from a man who had uh, more money than you could ever imagine. He had more women. He had more sexual relations than you could ever imagine. And he got to the end of his pursuits, and he is writing to us what we have been saying is his story or his testimony. And it's really been incredible, some of the feedback I've gotten from you guys, to where it is extremely relatable to us. Is it not? I mean, this guy, thousands of years ago, is telling us what he did and the lessons he learned, and we are sitting here in 2020, and we're saying, man, that's, I, I feel that same way. Man, I've done that same thing. Or that has happened to me before. Or for some of you, you have said, I'm doing that right now. And when we talked about chapter 1 and we looked at his life and how he kind of started off talking about how everything is meaningless and vanity... And what the, the lesson that we've been trying to teach or trying to get at here for this book is that hopefully it is not leading you to being more and more depressed in your pursuits. Um, that, you know, we talked about mowing the lawn. You shouldn't have to say, well, I'm not going to mow anymore. The pastor said it's vanity. Or, you know, I'm not going to take out the trash. Wife, I mean, he told me it's vanity. We're going to die. The same event happens to all. And in chapter 2, <clears throat> last week, how he said and he talked about his pursuit of pleasure and his pursuit of women and then his pursuit of singers and he just kind of absorbed all of life for himself. And he talked about wisdom and how wisdom was for himself and work was for himself. And I believe tonight, and, and these are so practical, it's crazy how specific the book gets and as it goes, um, every time I read it or I'm teaching it, I'm just blown away with how it just it feels like the book builds. With Solomon is just trying to teach us lesson after lesson. It's kind of like you sitting down with your, well, I mean, maybe your grandkids for you or me with my grandpa and sitting down with them and they'll give you a part of the story. And then they'll stop and say, hey, I'm going to leave you with this so you would come back for more. That's what these chapters feel like. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he is going to start talking about seasons. And there are two types of men in this room when it comes to going to a wedding. When the wedding starts, not the part you don't like, the vows, you know, the ceremony, and the pastor's talking too long, you're too hot, you're too cold, and not the meal, I know because that's some of your favorite part. When you get to a wedding, it's like, what are we eating? You want to know. And who brought the food, who catered the food, not that part, it's after that part. It's when, you know, after the daddy-daughter dance happens and the son dances with his mom and all those things, what happens? They start opening the dance floor. There are two types of men in this room. There are some of you that when a song comes on, what do you do? You lose your mind. Maybe you're upset. Someone went over here. You're dancing. For me, what do I, I mean, take a guess. What do you think I do? I'm out, man. I'm dancing. Whatever the song is. And Andy, go ahead and play these songs for me because... You ain't nothing but a depending on if you hear this song, some of you would want to dance to this song. You would love Elvis Presley. Some of you already started shaking a little bit. You're going to blow out your hip. 
and you are anxious and excited about dancing. And some of you, it would be this other song. Some of you, Tim McGraw, this is the one we tried to play a couple weeks ago. When this song would come on, you'll get choked up because you'll start crying, man. You're like, it's short. And when you hear this song, it causes feelings or emotions for you. And there are certain seasons and songs. Andy, go ahead and play the next song for me. And this song maybe is even more relevant because you have all told me to play this song every single week. I have gotten emails, letters, cards, text messages. Michael, have you ever heard the song Turn by the Birds? No, I never did. <laughs> and so this was the second time I've heard it. When you hear this song, it causes you to feel a certain way. A time, yeah, it's Ecclesiastes 3. A time for this, a time for that. And then the last one is maybe your favorite song and the one that you have on repeat. Andy, go ahead and play the last one for us. You already know. And when this song comes on, you guys like, man, I was in high school. And this was the one we would play in the car. When I was with my girlfriend, and it was a good friend, and it was this, and it was that. You know the songs, I'm not going to say it. Andy, you can go ahead and turn it off. But when you get to a wedding, when you get, oh, you guys want to play. Yeah. Yeah. When you get to a wedding and the song comes out, sometimes what has happened, if for some of you, you like a song that gets you out to the dance floor, and your wife will maybe drag you out there, you don't want to go. But once you get out to the dance floor and you start dancing, you'll be dancing to a song that you like. Maybe it's, you know, the first one, it's Hound Dog, or maybe it's a slow song, or it's an upbeat song. And then there will come a song that you despise. And what do you do? Oh, man, they had to play it. And you, you go back and you sit down. But here's the reality about being in life in the seasons that are given to us. And we're going to jump in Ecclesiastes 3. We do not have the opportunity to pick the songs that are played for us or the seasons that we have been given to us. But we do have an opportunity how we will dance or respond or embrace those seasons. In life, when God gives you a season, you have the opportunity to embrace and respond to that season. And your first point tonight is that you should know your season and embrace it. Know your season and embrace it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and some of you, I mean, I can tell you're wanting me to go back and play the birds. I mean, let him preach it, man. The birds, they did it so well. Ecclesiastes 3. Anyway, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to read all the way to verse 11. It says this, For everything there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, 
a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So here is what Solomon says. He says this real poetic phrase in verses 1 to 9. He says a time to do this and a time to do that. And he says everything has been made or given for its season. Now what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to go through and list all of the seasons and what they are. But the principle that Solomon is teaching is that these are things that God sends to us regardless of what we would like to experience. So Solomon is teaching us a lesson that we should know our season and embrace it. A time to speak and a time to be silent. A time to listen, a time for this. And he's going through, and these are things that God sends, like I said, regardless of what we would like to know. And the reason my point would be that you should know your season and embrace it is this. How often... Would you rather have someone else's season except the one you're in? You would maybe see somebody in a career or in a business who is maybe further along. And we talked about perception the one week, how perception has maybe driven your idea of what a godly season is or where God has you. And it causes you to regret and not have the ability to And as I started off, to dance or to embrace the season that God has for you. Because all of us, every single one of us across the board, would rather pick the season for ourselves than been given to us. Because the season I want to have, you want to know what it looks like? It's not very stressful. There's not a lot of pain. There's not a lot of turmoil. There's probably a lot of money involved in it. It's probably really easy. It's probably what I think I need and what I want, but in reality, it is nothing close. And God is so loving. God is so loving that he sends us these seasons. And if you embrace the season you're in, you're more likely to see God in it. If you embrace the season you're in, you are more likely to see God in that season. Because when you are in a difficult season... And, I mean, there are highs and there are lows no matter what season you are in. Some, some of you would be in a very good season right now. You're just enjoying life. You're enjoying family. You're enjoying where God has you. And you would say, it just couldn't be any smoother than right now. I still believe that season, we have to ask God, as I embrace this season, what are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to use me? If my glass is always full, remember we talked last spring about encouraging. How can I use this season to maybe help those with a glass half empty? How can I use this season to encourage? And then there are some of you tonight where, man, you're just discouraged. You're just in a tough season, man. You are struggling. You are, you, you're a little bit more tired than you've normally been, maybe. You're a little bit more on edge than you've normally been. You're a little, you know, you fill in the blank. In that season, I believe you still have to embrace it in order to learn the lessons that God wants us to learn. And here is something that has been difficult for me to learn. Perfection is not a season that will come. It just doesn't happen. Perfection is not something that I will attain to. I'm not going to run a perfect event. 
I'm not going to preach a perfect sermon. I'm not going to have a perfect argument with my wife where I always win. I'm not going to have perfect things that take place. And nothing is ever going to be perfect. I have to embrace the season that God has me in. And I want to say this next thing, and I think it's connected to these, but eventually we have to stop wishing we had someone else's life. Eventually. And I don't know when that time comes, and for some of us it comes in different times and seasons. When you're in a stressful season and you're in a difficult season, it is easy to not ask the question, God, what do you want from me and what do you want from this, but rather, can you get me out of this right now? And I'd rather be where he is. Eventually, we have to be okay and content with who God has made us to be. With who I have ended up, and for some of you, how life has really just um, come to a completion in a sense of what your life has been. God, what you have done with my 30, 40, or 50 years, I have to be content with and say, God, thank you. How you've made me, how you've wired me in the season that you have put me in. I bet if we were able to have a conversation with Solomon, we would bring him in here, sit him down, and ask him about the seasons he had, I would be willing to bet he would say, don't miss the season. Don't miss the season that God has you in. Whether it is a high or it is a low, embrace your season, know your season, and don't miss it. Number two, God allows emptiness. God allows emptiness, and this is just the second half of 11. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find what God has done from the beginning to the end. I want to read that one more time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. I love that part of the verse. I mean, that part to me is is sweet. It means every lost person I talk to, and I talk about them knowing that God is real and eternity being in their heart, they give me one of these. Yep, that they feel there's an emptiness or there's an eternity or there's something there for them to feel. I love that part of the verse. I don't like this part of the verse. So that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What does that mean? I believe, number two, in your point, that God allows emptiness. He has hardwired purpose into us. Something more than just what's right now. Something more than what we can put our fingers on. And I believe the verses teaching or Ecclesiastes, Solomon is saying to us, God is so loving, he doesn't allow anything to satisfy but him. He's so loving that in our pursuit of maybe success or pursuit of fame or pursuit of ourselves, he is so loving, he will say, hey, you can pursue that but I won't allow that to fulfill you. Because if that fulfills you, what happens? You don't need him. How many people do you know, and maybe some of you might be there tonight, you're in a, that either they are in a season or you have been in a season where you didn't really need God. You didn't really need him. I was talking with an individual recently, and he was talking about his need for Christ, and he expressed he didn't really feel a big need for God because he already had a moral compass. And the inability inability to recognize what Jesus actually does for us. How many of you have pursued something 
pursued something and it left you feeling empty and it actually was a gift from God. Actually was a gift. And in the pursuit of it, when you got to it, it left you a little depressed, a little discouraged, a little unfulfilled, but then hindsight, you're able to look back 10 years, five years and say, man, that was such a gift from God. Such a gift. God has, has allowed eternity into the heart of man or put eternity into the heart of man so that we would not find him in things that are not from him. That is a gift. God allows emptiness. If you can't see what God has done, so you can't see what God has done. So he, for you, you have to think about what God has put in front of you and ask always, what do I allow my heart to go back to? If you remember last week, Ecclesiastes 2, and he's going to do it here in a little bit, he brings up the heart over and over and over because the heart leads us astray. And even as a follower of Christ, for those of you who would follow Jesus, it is still a constant battle that your heart would lead you astray, does it not? It just leads you a little bit empty. It leaves you a little bit regretting things. It leaves you looking back and saying, man, if I would have done this, I would have done this. I wasted this portion of my life. And there's regrets here and there's doubts here. And Solomon would say, know the season you're in and embrace it. And it is a blessing, not a curse when you realize emptiness, when you realize it. Number three in your handout, God's purpose to sustain us. 12 to 15, he says, I perceive, or I know, same thing, that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, as that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. We talked about the distinction last week, how in 1 Corinthians it says, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That is not the pursuit, but Solomon teaches He is reflecting back on Genesis 1 and 2 that when you work and you pursue the Lord in the pursuits that God has and they have their proper place, it is a gift and fulfillment from God. He says, this is God's gift to man. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it. Here's why he's done it. So that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So here's what he says. He says all of these things happen and God allows these things so that we would what? Fear him. And the end of the book, and I'm not going to get too, I guess, in-depth tonight, but he talks about how the at the end of his letter, the big conclusion is that we would Fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon's recipe for honoring God and being a man of integrity, seeking after the Lord, was one simple phrase. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. That it is God's purpose to sustain us. Something that sustains you when you're really not feeling well. You go through certain seasons where you're just not really feeling super spiritual. You quit raising your hand during worship. You didn't enjoy the fellowship time. You got kind of annoyed because they talked too long or maybe the pastor went too long. He said some things you didn't like anyway. You don't really want to go. And in those, I know you guys, don't you're like shocked. How do you know? When those seasons come, 
He says, so that they would fear God. That fearing God, I believe a principle Solomon is teaching is this, quality of life. A lot of you maybe have experienced firsthand a loss of quality of life. Maybe physically. After a surgery, you went through this, you had to go through that, and in the midst, the quality of your life lessened. You just didn't enjoy life anymore. It was always that nagging pain. Or maybe for, I mean, most of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've had parents or grandparents where you went to visit them and you can remember their loss of quality of life. It says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. If you lose hope in your life, if you lose purpose in your life, it makes the heart sick. You just lose your ambition, don't you? Just the, just the go, just the drive, just the enjoyment of it. And I think Solomon is saying, when you don't fear God, you lose the quality of life. You lose its purpose. It's hope deferred, that your hope is misdirected towards what it's supposed to be at. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. When Solomon talks about fearing the Lord, the reason I believe most of us don't fear God or the reasons I don't fear God is, number one, control. I just want to hang on a little bit tighter when things get tough. I want to hang on. I want to control the situation. I want to put my hands on the steering wheel a little bit harder and white knuckle it. Or it's fear of myself, not God. It's risky. For some of you, you're maybe scared to fear God in one area of your life because of what it might look like. And the people I talk with, if they're new to accepting Christ, I always ask them this question, and we just did these baptisms, and I'll talk about them here in a little bit, but I'll ask this question. If you could talk to yourself two years ago, what would you say? And they, I mean, it's just, I wish I, it's, it's incredible. They'll start, their eyes just well up, and they'll say, You just need to trust Christ now. They'll say, he's worth it. He'll say, go for it. They'll say, I just didn't think it was going to be. He was that good. It was risky for them. And their quality of life when they follow Jesus is enhanced. Solomon is teaching your quality of life is enhanced when you fear the Lord. It is his purpose to sustain us. I'm going to stop, and I want, I'm going to give you guys 15 minutes at your tables, and we're going to finish the rest of the chapter when we're done. I'm going to give you guys 15 minutes. Take your time. I'll give you a two-minute warning when we come back together. Well, I trust that you are enjoying um, the conversation at your tables. Um, there is a piece of me that uh, can just tell you guys are having great conversations, and I would love... Um, to just kind of let you guys loose for the rest of the time because I can just, I can tell you guys, I mean, maybe tonight is a little, maybe hits home just a little bit more. But uh, before I jump into the rest of the chapter, I'm going to show you guys a quick video, a baptism video of someone who typically attends the men's study. He wasn't able to be here tonight. But this Sunday we have 12 individuals who are getting baptized. And really, they're pretty consistent in all of our services and uh, Bobby Joe, I told Dennis, I had sat down with her for her baptism video. I have the privilege of being on the other side of 
the camera asking these questions and it is, I mean, it's just incredible to hear these stories and to hear what God is doing. And so on Sunday, in, this, in our FLC service, Kyle Kerwick is going to get baptized right over here along with four other, other individuals. And just to preface the video, uh, for those of you who are here for the Joseph study, and I had shared about someone I, would sh- I was sharing Christ with. I actually went to school with Kyle. Uh, when we were little, we played football together. And uh, really crazy how God kind of brought us around back to each other. And I was telling you guys the story. He was right here in the FLC service, and I was really pressing him about accepting Christ. And he was uh, the guy who had kind of yelled across the room, Michael, I'm ready. And I was like, ready for what? And he was like, to receive Christ. So anyway, this is Kyle's uh, story. Go ahead and check this out. You know, I believed in God when I was younger and everything. Things happened in my life to where I just didn't, you know, think that this is the work of God, like it put so much pain on my life that I kind of turned away from God, I would say. So when Corey kept asking me to come, I felt like, you know, I, I still believe in God and everything, but like, why would he accept me back after everything? Like I basically cussed him out and everything and all that. And so like, it was through them, like, you know, just constantly like, Hey, let's go, let's go. And I said, you know, let's do it. Like I finally said, I'm coming with you. What made me, you know, want to put off for accepting Christ was, like I said, the guilt. And I kept telling you, like, I have my own demons to face. Like, I didn't want to accept if, you know, like, I didn't, you know, feel myself that I could do it. You kind of explained, like, hey, like, he's not just, you know, there for when you want it. Like, he's there all the time. He will help you and everything. First time I went to church, you talked to me about it. I said, I don't think I'm ready yet and all that. Next Sunday, again, you asked the same question. I'm like, you know, I I'm trying, like, you know, I'm, I feel like it's slow. Like I said, that the weight started coming off, and I started to feel, like, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry getting there. I think it was two weeks before uh, Caitlin's baptism. Uh, you had asked, and I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, I might have an answer, or maybe, you know, like next Sunday. And, like, that Monday, like, right after that Sunday, we, uh, Caitlin had her baptism uh, class. And I came, and, you know, you pulled me aside. We talked. Apparently, Corey was sneaking down the hall and listening a little bit. <laughs> so he uh, he pulled me into the basketball court, and we were just shooting around while Kitlin was finishing up her testimony and all that. And um, we talked. He also, you know, helped fully uh, fully send everything. Like, he helped build on what you told me and everything. That Sunday after her baptism class, I came to you. Like, it was after the whole sermon. You came to me, and I just said, Mike, I- I'm ready, dude. I feel it. it. I said it with my mouth, and fully felt in my heart, just the weight just lifted off. What drew me to Christ would probably be, you know, his forgiveness, uh, his sacrifice in all like he did for us, and, you know, his love. My name is Kyle Kerwick, and I have trusted in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Yeah. So, and I am super excited where Kyle is right now, and he is working through growing in Christ with his brother who just got saved a year ago. He is doing extremely well, and the reason I show that baptism video is obviously he is a part of the men's study pretty consistently. He wasn't able to be here tonight, but the question that Solomon is going to ask is answered by Kyle in his testimony and what the New Testament answers. So let's jump in to verse 16 as we finish up here tonight. And the, point, the fourth point I have is the gamble nobody wants to take, if you're taking notes. The gamble nobody wants to take. Verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun 
that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness in the place of righteousness. Even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to be, happens to the beast is the same. One dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust and to dust all return. So Solomon is setting this rhetorical question and really what you would see on our side or experience, he is saying, hey, just like your dog dies and runs out of breath and goes into the ground, so do you. That is his observation in Genesis uh, one, or Genesis 2, how God breathes air into man as you would inhale when you start your life and you would exhale as you end your life. Solomon is saying from his observation and the question he has, he says, hey, the same event happens to all. All men are but beasts is what he says. And then he asks the question that everyone is asking. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes downward into the earth? Question mark. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for this is his lot or his portion. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So Solomon asks the question. The Old Testament will ask the question that the New Testament will answer. It will set it up, and Solomon really, I feel bad for this guy. He's saying, who knows where the beast will go? Who knows whether the spirit goes upward and the beast goes downward? Who knows? The same event happens to all. And he is taking a gamble that really nobody wants to take, do they not? The uncertainty of the timing of death and the place where we go when we die. And as Kyle shared in his testimony video, the one thing that drew him to Christ was the unbelievable fact of forgiveness, the sacrifice. He said, I couldn't, and and there's obviously longer versions of these videos because we talked for a long time, the reality that God would forgive him of all of his sins and accept him as he is was mind-blowing. All of us take certain gambles in life. All of us. There are certain things we are willing to gamble on. Maybe for some of you, the gamble is the stock market. And you are suffering right now because of that gamble earlier on this year. You're gambling on maybe a relationship or the investment you've made in that or a business gamble. But none of us should make a gamble on where we will go when we die. As the Old Testament asks the question and Solomon leaves us with a cliffhanger, why? Because he does not know the answer. And praise God that the New Testament answers our question or answers his question. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57, it says this, the Apostle Paul says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O o death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It was Jonathan Edwards who said this, the thinking about death drove him to do what was right. Thinking about it, contemplating it, considering death. If you are uncertain of where your eternal home is, in Ecclesiastes 12.5, it speaks of man's eternal home. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, a home for you. It will suit you perfectly, individually. It will never grow old. And I'm thinking about a quote, and I wish I would have brought it, but it just hit my head. Man goes to his eternal home that you would put your faith and trust in Christ. And I'm excited for this Sunday to celebrate 12 of those decisions. And even aside from that, as followers of Christ, thinking about death should drive me to do what is right. Thinking about death should help me to consider my life and to fear the Lord that me fearing the Lord would sustain me, as Solomon says. That, it, that, that God would allow emptiness, he would allow seasons so that I would fear God. I want to finish out tonight reading Isaiah 56, um, 8 to 11. It'll be on the screen as well. Isaiah 56. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Why do I read that? God is outside of time. He's outside of time, right? And I always have to remind when I'm teaching to a younger crowd, I have to remind them that God is a little bit smarter all the time. Last night I talked to our college students and I talked to them about sex and how God knows more about sex than we do. He knows, he's been around, he invented it. He knows more about life than we do. And when it says, my purpose will stand Sometimes I need reminded this simple statement that I often forget that God is God. He is. And his purpose will stand. And I want my purpose to be his. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for Ecclesiastes chapter 3. God, I pray for men in this room who feel like their life is a bucket with holes. They always feel like they're trying to fill it and it's empty and it's empty and they feel like it's a constant battle and they're tired and they're they're struggling. I pray that you would help fill them. God, would you encourage them? God, would you help some of us in this room who are in a tough season? Would you help us to embrace it and serve you and fear you? And those who are in, in a season where they're doing well, I ask that you would give us the courage to minister to those around us. And God, I pray that all of us in this room would not leave without having the certainty of where we will go when we die. That Jesus came in the flesh as God and lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross and rose again from the dead to offer forgiveness and a home in heaven. We thank you for Kyle and many others who have made the decision to follow Christ. And God, would you help us to consider death 
and would it drive us to be obedient and fear you for this short time we have. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.